some of my wealthiest clients come in four years before a transaction and say, hey, how does this look? And you know what? I can help them save a ton of money because I know about it in advance and we we take certain we take certain measures to make sure that they're treated fairly. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Mr. Fazl Sayed. How are you, Fazl? I'm well, Tyler. How are you? I am good. I love it. The uh, the world of small town Calgary conspires. We end up at a party standing side by side, a party for a very a very good mutual friend, a longtime friend of yours. Next mm-hmm. thing, I f- we find ourselves chatting, and we started chatting about CRA of all things that you might talk about at a par- at a cocktail party. But you're the founder at Square Law, and you've got an interesting background that I thought would be fun to have on the show. So before I go any farther. Give us like, what's what's uh, Square Law? What are you guys all about? And then we'll roll into our CRA conversation. Well, we're, we're um, Square Law Group's about treating people fairly. A lot of lawyers, unfortunately, they bill their clients very heavily. And we don't believe in that. We try to treat people as fairly as, as possible. And so that's why we went for the name Square Law Group. Um, we are, well, we're expanding now. We're getting into family law, but that's not my bailiwick. Okay. Uh, that's a friend of mine, Mosey Taylor Cole. He's on CBC Radio in the morning some days. Um, I myself um, do tax primarily and corporate commercial transactions. So I help help clients plan for the tax implications uh, of a corporate transaction, buying a building, selling a building, or sometimes in matrimonial issues, there's complicated restructuring issues in order to transfer assets between spouses. So I help with that. Interesting. And how long, how long have you been in this space? Well, I mean, I've been a lawyer since 2015. Okay. Uh, before that, I worked at CRA um, for nine years, just under nine years. And during that time, I worked in underground economy and regular audit, both income and excise tax. Then I went to uh, criminal investigations. Then I went to appeals. And then I went to law school to fight Her Majesty the Queen. Oh, His Majesty the King. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, uh, good good um, correction. Good correction. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's how I got into it. So... And I have a different experience than many lawyers. No, I really appreciate the practicality of like where you were in the role you played. And was that part of your motivation to get into not to do the life story kind of version of this episode? But that motivation of, yeah, I got into law because I saw a lot of things that I wanted to get involved with from that perspective. It, it feels like that fueled the fire, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. The reason I went to law school is because I saw some things that I felt were, you know, a little morally ambiguous hmm. um, that happened at my my workplace. So I... I decided that I don't want to participate in that. And I gave up the golden handcuffs to go and literally spend my life arguing with the CRA over what's fair and what's not fair for people. So I, I, that's very powerful. That's a, that's a great, or it's a very um, compelling origin story as a marketer. <laughs> I do love it. Sometimes, sometimes the origin stories actually do write themselves. Other times as a marketer, you make them up. But in this case, it sounds very, <laughs> it sounds very, I will never admit to that openly, but um, no, that's a, I, I do appreciate the motivation there. And I think sometimes let, let's, let me just put on my silly hat for a second and say, what do you mean about fair or unfair? Isn't this the law? Isn't this black and white? Isn't this a gr- like, what do you mean this gray area of fair and unfair? This is a government. This is tax. Isn't this clear cut? And should I not have to worry about being a citizen about whether I'm being treated fairly or not? You can please respond with your full force to my statement. <laughs> so, so you always have to, when dealing with the CRA, you should always have a, a measure of caution. Many things that the CRA creates are created to um, create more audits, to generate more revenue. Remember, they Canada, the government of Canada has nothing but cost centers and one revenue center, which is the Canada Revenue Agency. Ooh, okay. And so 
uh, without CRA, the government of Canada bleeds. And something that's really interesting since COVID now, whether or not you like our current government, and I make I express no opinion on that, um, uh, this government has spent more money since or acquired more debt since the beginning of COVID than any government that came before it combined. And that's a real issue. And so how does how do you think that's going to impact the way the CRA deals with citizens when when the government of Canada has borrowed so much money in such a short period of time? Uh, I would argue that it's created all sorts of problems for some of my clients that I'm I'm working out now. Wow. Okay. So what I'm hearing is business is booming for the CRA and for me. Yes. To be honest. No. 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 I mean, and I, I sad, say that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> the sad reality is, is that like it's it's tough to be a citizen right now, especially when you're in certain industries um, because you're being scrutinized at a different level than previously. Uh, but it's a good time to be me. So <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Tough to be a citizen in certain industries. What What are we talking about? Um, people in construction. Anything related with construction, that's that's heavily audited because um, there is a huge component of the underground economy okay. uh, in construction. So that's that's it. But then also car sales, um, mechanics, that kind of generally the trades. Um, Interesting. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't if I were playing the guessing game. I don't know if I would have just picked that. But I guess when you put the filter of cash transactions, underground economy, places where money is getting pulled out of maybe underground services, getting put into real businesses, that does make maybe a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, the CRA are very skilled at knowing where to look from an underground. How long did you work in underground? You, you Is that a specific division? Yeah, there is. Well, it's part of small and medium. It's part of SME, small and medium enterprise audit. Okay. Uh, but underground economy is a separate subdivision in there. So... So yeah, how long did I do that? I'd have to look at my LinkedIn, probably a couple of years. Okay, yeah, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I was creeping you earlier, but I didn't get that. I didn't get that that granular. Mm-hmm. What What does a day to day life look like when your folks say, "I'm gonna sorry, I'm gonna geek out on all kinds of weird terms That's here"? Right. So I'm gonna, I, right. I will apologize, but then do it anyways. Uh, what does that look like working <laughs> in an underground economy? Uh, it's interesting. It was those were my early years at CRA before I had tons and tons of training because it's a little bit rougher. Uh, the methods used, not that it's like rough as in the thugs, but you know, you get a whole bunch of bio data on your client, you know, if they've been in prison or if they're currently a prisoner or, um, you know, you, you make sure that you're safe as an auditor going okay. out. And so so that's something we do. We look them up on Google. We have other tools that were available to us to just check out the person before we see them. Okay, interesting. So. Before you go out to do an audit situation where things might be dicey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And is this as simple as individuals working for cash, you know, show up, be a framer for three months, get paid cash under the table and not declare it. And, you know, at the simplest level to then obviously proceeds of crime, I'm assuming come into that as well. Mm. Yeah. So underground economy, uh, when it gets to proceeds of crime, um, it's a different bucket. Yeah. That goes to the criminal investigations division or CID. And, um, and even in there, they have a program, um, their SIP and their SEP special enforcement program. And a criminal investigation program, and and okay. that, yeah, that that if you have like, let's say you commit fraud and you're convicted of that fraud, CRA has a team that will say, oh, you've been convicted of fraud for a million dollars. I guess you didn't pay tax on that because I don't see it on your return, and they'll assess the tax after the fact, and they'll use the mm. criminal conviction as um, as evidence for any civil matter. 
right? Okay, that makes sense. So as much as many government organizations don't talk to each other, in that case, there is a clear line of communication. <laughs> well, I mean, mm -hmm. it's not between justice and CRA. It is it's published news. Yeah, and okay, they literally enough. have people sitting around with reading the newspaper, trying to tag off people. Ah, so interesting. Okay, well, I could go down so many rabbit holes, but let's <laughs> bring it. Let's bring it back to being in business, small business, or medium-sized business owner. Sure. And some of the things that you know, we and I will put myself in that category of what can we do and what can we do. And maybe we'll start off with you know, in your role, what do you see as problematic? Like where do where do business owners kind of leave themselves exposed and maybe don't even realize, or, or they or they just shouldn't be doing that? And maybe those are common practices that it just all of a sudden are no longer the way you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. So the first, the first and biggest problem I've seen historically um, is people treat their corporation like a bank account. So yeah. they incorporate, and then they go with the debit card of the corporation and take out cash and this and that. Um, they don't write themselves checks from the company. They they literally, literally live on cash. Uh, that's a very bad idea because it does open you up for personal audit. So if your company is getting audited and they see that you're taking cash, wait a minute, now you're getting audited personally. Because uh, where did that come? Did you actually deposit the cash? Did did um, did the company get paid every time by check? Did it not? Is there proof? You know. So all of this stuff kind of matters. Um, the biggest thing that you can do for yourself if you have a corporation is set up a little wall between you and the corporation. The corporation is its own individual with all the rights and responsibilities as a human, other than the right to vote. Um, like you can get charged criminally as a corporation. You can have all sorts of other impacts. But but if you treat it like, hey, when you're taking money out of your company, then you write yourself a check. That's the way to keep that wall up. And if you lose that wall, then you just open your life up to so many more headaches, like net worth audits, which are patently difficult to fight. Uh, I mean, we've been pretty successful at the firm at fighting them, but but we do have an inside knowledge that many other places don't have. What's it, what, what, did, what compromises or what, what not compromises? What, what is, what is um, a net worth audit? A net worth audit is where they take all your assets at the beginning of the period, all your assets at the end of the period, registerable or not. Um, they add in... Uh, what the average Canadian uh, spends on food and groceries and, and, and going out during that period. And you must have earned that amount to in cover the increase in your assets, uh, asset base, uh, as well as feed your family. Of course. And so, you know, things that are removed from that, you know, are the value of the house appreciating and that kind of thing. But if you acquire another house, um, where did that down payment come from? And so we've seen people um, who are working for cash and they will start using that cash for, you know, bills, which is great if you want to get audited. And, <laughs> and so, and if you want the CRA to have a great case against you, I mean, let's be clear, I can't advise anyone to um, break the law and I certainly would not myself, but um, if it, you should report every last penny you earn. And if you don't, you're, you could get caught, but you know, um, yeah, now, you know, <laughs> okay. No, and knowing, and knowing is half the battle. I got it. So let's just touch on that for a second. I've had this debate with people where they're like, 
oh no, just just pay me cash, but do it as an e-transfer. I'm like, well, that's not cash. Well, yeah, it is because I'm not. It's not. There's no trace of it anywhere. I'm like, well, what about the tr- transaction? And let's just say it's a thousand dollars. I'm just gonna pick a number, sure. which you technically should record. But you're like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that on my taxes. I'm, but no one will know what happened. I'm like, well, but it went through the banks, so therefore there's yeah. a record. They're so, like, cash is cash, and <laughs> e-transfers are not cash. Or am I just messing up like an old way of thinking and a new way of acting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, e-transfers uh, are e-transfers. And so that's fully recorded. That's in their bank, your bank. Um, everyone should book the revenue they earn as revenue, right? And if you don't, then, and you don't book that revenue, let's be clear, and you knowingly did that, CRA will come after you for gross negligence penalties. And gross negligence penalties are really harsh. Uh, they are 50% of the tax owed is assessed as a penalty at the, at the tax year end of when you incurred that debt. And then on top of that, there's interest and additional penalties. So let's say that was five years ago. You're going to ding that over and over again. But oh, it'll, you're going to yeah, you're going to yeah you're going to basically pay the tax, the penalties on the tax, and then the fines on top of that, and then the interest on top of the fines. Yeah, the gross negligence. Yeah, it'll be the tax plus gross negligence plus penalties and interest beyond that for not paying. And so from a compound interest perspective, like a time value money perspective, yeah, yeah. Ugh, it gets messy and it gets real expensive real fast. And do you see this in your experience? And this is completely anecdotal. People not knowing better or thinking they do know better? <laughs> uh, a lot of people think they know better. Okay. And that's the yeah. truth. Um, <laughs> some people uh, don't know any better. I've had clients who literally came from third world countries and don't believe yeah. in banks. Because the banks so, are corrupt at a different, I'm not saying they are right here, countries. but they're corrupt at a different level in those countries. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So, um, you know, that creates problems for a bunch of reasons. Uh, because if you're keeping money in your mattress, first of all, what happens if there's a fire? Second of all, um, you know, are those properly reported income? What did it, where did it come from? And that creates a mess when it comes to an audit. So you kind of want to make sure you deposit your funds in the bank. If you're worried about... Um, whether or not the bank will be liquid for whatever reason, because you have that propensity to worry about that, then I would suggest you bank at a credit union um, because credit union deposits are insured 100%, whereas hmm. bank deposits are only insured for $100,000 per account to a maximum of, of two accounts per financial institution, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm, hmm. don't quote me on that, but I'm no. like eight out of 10 sure on that. Okay, okay. So, Interesting. The credit credit union. We've done some work with the Alberta Credit Union Association. That's a good little ad campaign for those of us that are concerned about those types of things, mm-hmm. right? Or, 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 or that might be any Albertan with with a balance of more than hundred thousand dollars in the bank, which is, let's be clear, very few. Mm-hmm. But if you have more than hundred thousand dollars in a bank and you have it in one account, uh, and it's not in a credit union, you are taking some measure of risk. And so, if you look back to two thousand and eight, when people were screaming "too big to fail." Well, I mean, I don't know, you know, and there's a lot of banks exposed right now to government debt, to this, to that, all sorts of investments abroad that may not be returning money that they should be. So they're not like the grocery stores. They're not turning the profit. The grocery stores are turning the profits now, it seems. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, if you want to get into, yeah, yeah, where that's all going. (laughs) So when it comes to being audited or not being audited, you mentioned like obviously events that end up in the news or anything that's going to literally people sitting at at CRA looking for those events. Is there any other things that you certainly saw or that you, when you work with your customers, like 
just don't do that because that's going to be a trigger? Like, is it as random as sometimes people are like, oh, I got randomly selected or all of a sudden I'm getting audited? And Or is it a bit of a spy? I've heard that it's a bit of a spider web effect that, you know, something happens to a company here, they'll look at who they do business with, who they're connected with, what the shareholders are. Is there, it feels like any thread that can be pulled gets pulled if you're CRA. You're absolutely right. So audits create audits. That's okay. generally how that goes. Okay. Um, let me give you an example of how CRA does this. And, and it's not, I mean, listen, they're protecting the public purse, so we have to give them kudos for doing that. I think that in some ways, uh, the process is not very fair, and especially, um, you know, for the less sophisticated taxpayer, it makes it a big headache. Um, But, for example, a few years ago, they had the home renovation tax credit. Do you remember Mm -hmm. that? I do, I do. And so they asked you on your tax return to, I can't remember what the quantum was, but you got, you know, I think you get $1,000 of tax back or whatever, um, you have to submit all your receipts or list your receipts, the GST number of the supplier, what they did, how much you paid, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know all of those went and got searched to see if the supplier actually paid GST, to see if the supplier was registered in the period? And if they weren't registered, wait a minute, your claim is denied. But then they're going to go audit that. It was an audit creation mechanism. The CRA oh, uses so it very effectively. Um, and it's smart because it, it's basically that, you know, taxpayers are providing details on other taxpayers and the CRA can check it, right? And there's nothing, you know, inherently wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, um, so, but it is it is a thing where the CRA does, during audit, it creates more audits. And mm. it's just the way it goes. And is that a bit of a war room strategy for some, for like a group at the CRA that sits around going, okay, if we do this, this will trigger this and we'll leverage that into that. Like, I do appreciate they're running like a business and then, you know, cost centers and one revenue center. I think that really puts things into perspective with the way you just <laughs> yeah. said that. And, you know, I think that's where it can feel like, you know, right, they, they are working for us as taxpayers, but at the same time, it does feel like this very contrarian uh, <laughs> adversarial relationship. Yeah. I mean, when I worked there, um, the government at the time decided that that we're not to call um, we're not to call what we used to call audit clients. Uh, we're not to call them that anymore. We we're supposed to call them taxpayers, which is actually a huge psychological shift, right? Mm. Calling with clients generally indicates someone that you're working together with, whereas taxpayer, this is more of an adversarial relationship. Mm. Uh, I think that actually has filters. I think the CRA is a different beast than when I worked there. Interesting. Um, we're seeing it in our files where ugh, like sometimes it's just whoa where's where's professional judgment here you know and and i mean for the most part the cra is pretty good let me be very clear it's just when they're bad it's it stinks because people lose their livelihoods over this and bank and based on and based on your role you're finding yourself probably in those specific situations more often exactly. than not so your filter becomes this stinks <laughs> yeah absolutely and but let me be clear, having worked there, I know that, you know, a bunch of the work they do is good quality work. And there's times where I felt really good. Like I remember having mm. having a, a lady, um, she filed for welfare. And in Alberta at the time, if you were on welfare inappropriately, someone who deserved it wasn't getting it. Right. And and so but then we got she was in construction, it was way early in my career, and um she got a T fifty eighteen for three hundred thousand dollars because she was doing sliding soft fit and fascia. And so when I met her, um, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, no, um, I think that's an error. 
So we went to the company. I went to the company and I showed an image of her. And I go, is this her? And I go, yep. And I go, well, there you go. So for her, I hit her with a hammer. And not a small one because she hid $300,000 of income in the year, collected welfare on top of it. Ouch. Like it, but that day felt real good. I felt yeah. great with that hammer. I'm not going to lie. Because it, <laughs> it's literally yeah. stealing from the population. You're stealing from your neighbors then, right? Whereas, um, you know, I've had other files where a guy makes a technical error and you know what his intention was, but what do you do? Right. And there are times where I felt really ugly. Like I told you a story when I met you there that, you know, I'm not going to share in the podcast, no offense, but, <laughs> but it did leave me with such a, such a sick feeling in my stomach. I couldn't sleep for two weeks. And so, and I can't, I would argue that there's not many people who work at the CRA now who can't say they've had a file that didn't make them feel sick at least once in their career. Hmm. So. And is it along, like you said, the golden handcuffs, do people just tend to stay and become part? Because you get indoctrinated into a culture, and as that culture shifts, like you mentioned, of like taxpayers versus the word clients, which you're right, words do matter. Mm-hmm. There's a period of time where you become more jaded or you become more, you know, just hardened to some of these realities, which maybe then judgment or fair or unfair, which is kind of what we started with, are not maybe as part of the conversation as they could have been early in your career. So where I see where I see files um, that are after the fact, and usually they stink to high heaven generally. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was on the audit floor where you start to think, because you get the same kind of files from the other side. And so this guy's cheating or this, this or that. You know, um, in terms of screening, going back to an earlier question that you had, do people get randomly selected? Yeah. The answer is 99% of the time, no. Okay. It's really... Like, I can't give you the exact number, but generally no is a better statement. Okay. Um, you'll Don't forget, everyone in, in your neighborhood, everyone on your block probably files a tax return. And if they file a tax return, um, the government has their data, knows their postal code. And if you, for some reason, have income way below that and you live in the same postal code and against the stratified average, you're an outlier and they come in. Yeah, so you just it. look at it yeah, at like yeah. a bell curve discussion, right? On every metric that you can think of, if you're an outlier... They're looking at you. And we now live in a world with better algorithms and better machine learning programs that can pick these things out so much easier than somebody randomly with 40 no years joke. experience scanning down a sheet of, of finding the outlier and highlighting it with a yellow marker. Yeah, <laughs> Which I'm that, assuming there's a version of that 20 years ago. <laughs> you know what? Believe it or not, when I, because I left the CRA really in 2012, uh, but I didn't work full time after 2011. Okay. Um, and, and it's, like back then they were using DOS-based systems. Hmm. Like no government wanted to invest in the technology to get better re- audit results because it only benefited the next government. Yeah. And as a result, why help the other guy make short more term, money? Uh, short-term election cycles problem, uh, number 1056. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever. So, There's a long list of things that that creates. <laughs> but they are switching out of that now. They're spending a whole bunch of money on revitalization. So I think... We're entering the area or era of audits, and it's going to be real intense because I think mm. when I left the CRA, it was 20, 2011 is the last time I was full-time, like I mentioned. Um, and so I went to a couple of union meetings at that time, and they said, you know, in the next um, in the next 10 years, the CRA has an issue. 60% are going to be late retiring. 60% of the agency is going to retire. And the bulk of that, looking back, occurred in the last four Interesting. So, so, um, 
But in the last three, it's been COVID. So all this knowledge walks out the door. Not a lot of knowledge transfer. And what the heck is going on? You know, it's, it's a very interesting time um, to be on this side. Because you see just some, what? Just some crazy different stuff. People, like I used yeah, to work yeah. with some individuals who, and I still keep contact with some of my old friends at CRA. And I'll tell you that, that it's some of the people who have been moved up the ranks. It's kind of shocking. I'm like, wait a minute. But when I was there, that guy was. <laughs> but there, but there was ridiculous. a vacuum. But there was a vacuum that needed that's to be it. filled and it pulls up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's the tough part, right? How do you, like, how do you put this knowledge, especially with them still working at home for the most part, there is going to be a gap. So I don't know what I, like I said, it's going to, it's a bad time to be a citizen. It's a good time to be me. So, <laughs> yeah. And now a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of ending slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening. And now back to today's good old fashioned chat. So let's, so let's get back to your to-do list or to not do list. Like put the wall in, don't take cash out of your company. Things that, you know, as a business owner, I take for granted as being true, but I have certain friends that earlier in their businesses did things like that and mm-hmm. and created excess problems for themselves. Any, what, what else is on your, I'm assuming you have a long list, but I love the, uh, I, well, love the I, think, I love the high points. Mm. Yeah, I think the, I think the next thing to do is actually do your own books and records. And, oh, and interesting. listen, okay. people like, like when you, you can buy, you can get apps now. You, if you have a meeting for lunch, for work, you snap a picture of the receipt and then you say, who were you meeting with? You put that all in there and boom, it's done. Right. Yeah, one and done. Um, and, and so now it's actually a lot easier to do the things yourself. One thing that people don't realize is like, oh, it's a deduction. I, oh, I'm going to buy this because it's a deduction. Well, I mean, it's still money out of your pocket. Yes. So, <laughs> so maybe don't. You don't need to spend all that money on, you know, whatever thing. You can just get what you normally would get and not think it's a deduction. And that, and that's how you should run your business, to be honest. That's how you become successful is that you're, you're paying attention. You try to stay lean depending on the type of business you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the whole, oh, it's a deduction. I'm like, yeah, but it's still out of the money that we're trying to make here. So it's still, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that that's the easy, a misunderstood of like the, the, the blank checkbook kind of, kind mm-hmm. of approach. When it comes to 
you know, this is getting into maybe such a personal situation or personal question, but it's easy to think somehow that if you're paying your taxes and you're doing everything by the books, you're somehow missing out on some types of savings or sometimes advantage. When you see good tax planning, what are some of the kind of hallmarks of a good, and I know it's so hard because everyone, but we're talking about a business owner, somebody owns a corporation, it's multi-medium size. What does good tax planning start to look like even from the early days, some of those first moves? So good tax planning is if you know the transaction in advance of the transaction, whatever that transaction is, you pl- you talk to your advisor as early as possible so that you can, some of my wealthiest clients come in four years before a transaction and say, hey, how does this look? And you know what? I can help them save a ton of money because I know about it in advance and we, we take certain... Yeah, okay. We take certain measures to make sure that they're treated fairly when it comes time. And because they don't get caught on a technicality, we make sure we they dot their I's, they cross their T's. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there are people who are like, oh man, I decided to sell my business and uh, now I don't get this lifetime capital gains exemption because I my company had a bunch of cash or this or that. And there's all sorts of rules that tie into that, like whether or not you're a small business corporation, um, whether or not... You know, there's a test for that. There's all sorts of little things that come into play. Mm. And you kind of got to make sure that it's valid for 24 months before the sale of a business. I was going to so say two, just, two years is the magic number, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So at a minimum, you should be coming to see the person that's advising you for two and a half years. That way they can clean you up and make sure you're squared up, ready, just in time for that transaction to make sure you get all the points that you can for at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and is that the big one when a, a sale or, you know, a big liquidity event? Yeah, I mean, not always. Sometimes it's an acquisition and how to structure. Uh, sometimes you want to get into a different type of business and how do you get money out of one business to another business? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You know, how do I creditor proof this one business from from its profits? So there's ways to move those profits out and this and that, which, you know, it is what it is. It's just the nature of, of this kind of work. So... Yeah, and it's and it's and it's about minimizing your tax exposure, not necessarily you know you're not avoiding tax, but how do you move it from a forty two percent to a twenty one percent, or you know certainly from conversations I know I've had as a business owner, so yeah, if you're still absolutely. paying tax, we're just minimizing yeah, the, tax, and, the tax exposure. And sometimes if we look at the time value of money, like if we say a bottle of coke cost me a dollar today, but but next year it's a buck twelve, my value of a dollar goes down, then deferring your taxes is probably a good idea. Hmm. Right, kicking that down the road because you pay tax on money. That's why pay in today's dollars. You know, you can buy four thousand cokes a day. Well, yeah, yeah. next year I can only buy you know, or ten, twenty years from now I can buy like sixty-eight cokes for that. You know, so I, sometimes it's better to kick the can down the road because there's a lot of tax deferral mechanisms that you can employ. So you made, you made the comment about some of your wealthiest clients, the ability to live and to plan and to think into the future. And is that a conversation, you know, I've read lots of about savings and why humans are notoriously bad at savings. And it also depends what your culture is because of the ability to think about this future state. How often is that a conversation for you of just helping people to get them to think in the future and not necessarily get sucked into the now? Yeah. You know, I wish, I wish more clients worried about the future. I had a client come in. This is actually a good story. Uh, a few years ago, and um, we did a will, and um, he didn't tell me that um, that two months later he was going to seek medical assistance in dying. Uh, he had brain cancer. He had capacity because we always test for capacity. Um, and at the time, he certainly did have capacity. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he got medical assistance in dying, which means he had capacity at the time of his death. But um, had he told me that, oh, listen, I'm I'm planning on taking this golden brick road, um, <laughs> you know, I would have said, hey, where are your assets located? You know, but it was a simple will engagement. And I said, listen, this, you know, is there anything you want to tell me? No, no. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, had I known that he had a house in Saskatchewan, a house in Ontario, a house in PEI, uh, and and this and that, we would have saved his family a lot of money when it came to probate time, because none of those kids wanted those houses. So we had to get probate in each of those provinces in order to um, for them to dispose of those assets. And there's a cost to each and every probate. Like, it's just, it's unfortunate. What a waste of money. So you're you kind of want to tell your tax advisor, especially if they're a lawyer. Um, so listen, the differentiation I'm going to make, because I, of course I'm a CPA as well as um, a lawyer and um, CPAs don't get the benefit of privilege generally. Um, I do. So if you come in and you say, Hey, this, this, and this, I can't be compelled to share that information. Whereas your CPA can. And yeah, so sometimes, it's, sometimes it's better to come to a lawyer talk to that lawyer about your issues and have that lawyer retain the CPA for you. Uh, that will allow for uh, privilege to stand a little bit better. And then the lawyer is usually relatively cued in on what should be shared, what should not be shared with the person who doesn't have privilege. So mm, that's something important to tell you. Um, you know, the big thing is, is everyone should pay what's fair. Like I don't, I don't espouse a value of, listen, we need, we need roads we need infrastructure. We need public services. So I don't espouse any value of let's, let's I'm a natural person or this or that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but I do I do believe. Thanks for thank you for clarifying. Yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> it's not what I, I'm hearing. It's not what I'm hearing. <laughs> but I I do believe that that pay pay exactly what you should pay and not a penny more and not a penny less. And if there's rules that allow you to pay a reduced amount that are legitimate planning rules, then you should take advantage of them. If they are not, and you're just making stuff up, um, you know, I, I'm not real excited about that. And I caution my clients to, um, to do those things. Um, you know, I've, I've gone as far as firing a client who, who is doing, cause I just, I can't sign up for, right. for breaking the law, but uh, the other thing I will say is a lot of people, and now this might get me some heat, but a lot of people go to accountants that aren't accountants. And these accountants, like I had one in the last three months where the accountant, quote unquote accountant, <laughs> not a CPA, um, just arbitrarily made things up and said, oh no, I'm going to save you a whole bunch of money. And my clients being unsophisticated taxpayers said, sure. And then a tax month came and that changed everything because that CPA was like, no, or that not that non CPA, my apologies yeah, yeah. was like, no, no, I thought you were eligible, but I guess I was wrong. And this and this and every excuse at the end of the day, there's not a real liability. And, and because these people are from the same ethnic community, um, one wasn't going to sue the other. And that was the end of that. And so this person gets to continue behaving poorly and putting their clients at risk. Um, you know, so that's something that's actually really important. Like it's, it's penny wise and pound foolish. You know, the clients will, oh, well, this guy saves me 500 bucks a year. 
well, what has he done wrong? Because he hasn't been trained to do it properly. You know, he's I, this particular individual who, you know, this this non-CPA accountant. Uh, and there are some non-CPAs that are excellent. Let me be very clear. They have 20 years in, 10 years in. They have worked at the CRA. They this, they that. They get it. And some are really cute in. Uh, but I don't know about that in terms of the, like the ones I end up interacting with have real deficiencies in ways that make you go, oh my goodness, like this is, like it's, you're just stealing from people telling them you're selling a service when you're not, you know? And so it's is, terrible. Is this a buyer beware situation around Always. the fact that like second opinions, like if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is like a lot of those overused statements. Yeah. You know what? I, I just think you go with the guy that you can sue. Like if someone, <laughs> I know it sounds really bad, but if you're building a house and you're not using, you know, if you're building a bridge, let's say for whatever reason, you're building a bridge, you don't use an engineer. Well, when that bridge falls down, cause I guarantee it will, you know, you can't really cry. You just, well, you didn't use someone who knew how to build bridges, right? right? You, cut, and you, so, cut, you cut the corners and now you're paying for it. Yeah, it's penny wise and pound foolish. You save 500 bucks on each tax return, but when that reassessment comes in, oh my God, it hurts. Back to the penalties on the, the, the interest on the interest, the interest yeah. on the tax and then the penalties and the interest on the penalties. That's it. And you say tough, tough time to be a citizen based on a lot of the things that you've shared, anything that's on your radar, like from your client's perspective, because I'm assuming you're always trying to stay up to date with all the myriad of nuances that are happening in tax law. And if you, are you seeing anything come down the pipe over the next couple of years or like what's on your, what's on your like watch out radar? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, there's always the regular things. So moving expenses, if you're claiming moving expenses, make sure you keep all those receipts and all your evidence that you needed those. Cause those are audited at a very high level. They're, they're under a program of desk audit. Okay. So there's a clerk who's not an accountant, who's just a clerk. Not that there's anything wrong with being a clerk, just they're not trained. Except and, they're, and they're given the keys to those audits. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, hey, show me the proof. And all you got to do is show them the proof. So make sure you have it. Because if you don't do it by their timeline, they're cutting you off and you lose. Um, you know, and that's a thing. A lot of people don't realize. Um, um, they do have special projects. I haven't heard about the most latest latest one. When I was uh, at CRA, I audited prostitutes and um, servers at restaurants because they were getting cash tips. Um, there wasn't a lot of recovery in those. Um, and then we quickly cut and run. CRA is like, nope, there's not enough here. It's a waste of taxpayer resources. We move on. So one of the things that CRA is actually relatively good at not wasting taxpayer resources if there's not a lot of recovery. So they there's won't not a good spend. ROI on the project. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. I mean, you should be earning, you know, a couple dollars an hour at least for the CRA. Yeah. So when you're working there. <laughs> for sure. Everybody's got, everybody's got to eat, Basil. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. So from, so interesting just to think about, I, I just, I'm still processing that we have all these cost centers. We have one revenue center. Let's look at it at least from that perspective. And although yeah. they're, they're working for us, they can feel like they're working against us, us being the, the, the general citizens or citizenry on the fact that um, we're not playing in, we're not coloring inside the lines. And yeah, I mean, it's a self, it's a voluntary reporting system. That's the tough part, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if people don't know what they're doing, um, then you have bigger problems. Like I remember once where, I had an audit client who went to this large chain of um, tax preparation. It's like a tax preparation chain. Yeah, I was going to ask you about those, actually. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> um, and and they just messed it all up. And, and it was really like possibly 
one of the worst audits I have ever had in terms of, oh my God, oh my God, this is all done wrong. Oh my God, what are you doing? And so, yeah, I mean, the tax prep chains are, are great if you're a T4 employee and you just don't want to buy whatever. Yeah, yeah, got like, it. Like, if it. If it's simple and straightforward. Um, but if you have a business, please reconsider, pay the extra fee because you want to avoid the headache that comes with. Like, there is a significant headache attached to to that where where if you sure you save 50 or 80 bucks but now you're triggered for audit well how much time does that take out of your business Mm -hmm. that you can't focus on your business because the tax man is literally in your in your living room and so that i think that's lost in a lot of people like even if you pay a thousand bucks extra and you don't lose a week of your time like ideally you're earning more than a thousand bucks a week so you're going to pay the guy a thousand bucks to avoid the headache that's going to cost you 20. Yeah, and it's, so, it's the saving twenty dollars now to to blow a thousand to spend a thousand of painful dollars later and time. Yeah, and penny wise and pound foolish, yeah. right? How, what's the what's the timeline? If you're a small small to medium sized business, what's like does a, does a lot of I've never had an audit, and I also have a very very good bookkeeper's like yeah yeah absolutely hundred yeah. percent. We we avoid she calls them no backflips into martini glasses. We don't do any back <laughs> we don't we don't do any of those because someone's like oh I heard about this thing. She's like no 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 you didn't. We're not even going to talk about that. Mm. <laughs> so that that is and I'm very thankful thankful for that especially as i get older and i realize but how long does that typically last like is this something you're involved with for months like you know if, and, and on the same other side when you're at cra like how many files would you have on the go at one, at one time it depends on it depends on it depends on the level you're at there's some large case auditors that are work they, they're entrenched they literally have an office at an oil and gas company and they work there auditing the transactions all day and, and that's their lives um when i started i would have more files i probably had I, you know, I can't recall the exact number, but I say 18 to 25. And as my, as my experience grew, that number dwindled because it became more complex. And so, you know, and then there's research and this and that that goes in and you go to your technical advisors when things get really dicey. And, you know, um, there is one of the things that another thing, oh, this goes back to your earlier question. Another thing, if your company owns stuff, whatever it is, and you transfer it to yourself, and you don't report that as income, then that's a shareholder benefit. You've appropriated those assets. So the company doesn't get the deduction for the cost of that, but you get the tax. So it's a double whammy. Yeah, yeah. Like you get hit literally on both sides. A system. <laughs> yeah. So um, your company is deemed to dispose at, at fair market value, and you're deemed to acquire at, um, or you've, so they've disposed at fair market value, and you've appropriated. Hmm. And so you both get hit and that's not the way to go. So don't always document that and make sure you transfer it for market value. So if you don't know what fair market value is, like, let's say you have a, I don't know, a truck. So go on Kijiji, print out as many trucks in your province and the province to the left and the right of you. <laughs> and, 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 uh, with the same spe- stats and specs, and that'll give you a blended average of what you should transfer the vehicle over. Um, you know, that's probably the way to go. Uh, if your company's a GST registrant and you sell stuff, you have to charge GST. Please remember that's not your money. That's the government's money you're collecting in trust. A lot of people don't realize um, that that GST is a quasi-trust fund. So if you go bankrupt, you still owe the GST and the payroll that you neglected to submit to them. Mm-hmm. So, and you'd have to talk to a bankruptcy lawyer more about that. But yeah, as far as I... 
the other thing that people really like, I've had people come in and I just feel so sorry for them because, you know, they, they were treated unfairly in my opinion, but they stuck their heads in the sand. They didn't think it was going to go away and they missed their deadlines. So to be very clear, um, if you miss your deadlines, you have, you're pushing a, a metal bar up a hill with your nose. Getting it up to the top is a lot harder if you start missing deadlines. So, you know, it makes my job a lot harder and therefore it costs the person a lot more money. Um, and sometimes we can't save them. I had a guy come in two and a half years after the reassessment. I'm like, buddy, you're dead. Like, there's not a thing you can do about this. And there's, but there's mean, so you're saying is benign neglect is not a strategy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. If I just forget um, about it, it'll go away, but it, it doesn't. Yeah, because you, you have a group of individuals whose job is to to maximize their revenue from you. And now that you've put yourself on that, on their radar and, and you've, they've identified something you did as, as incorrect, they're not going to forget. <laughs> well, some, sometimes it's not even, you did something. There's something now, if you're a normal filer and you file regularly yeah. and let's say one year you don't because you're busy or whatever life circumstance happens, the CRA might do something called an arbitrary assessment saying, these are your previous years. This is what we believe your income to grow at. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to make it a, a bit unfair maybe even patently unfair to encourage you to file the correct return. So I mean, a motivating tactic perhaps, or, or seen yeah, section. well, and, and the, it's actually a very regular thing. And if you don't respond and you let it sit and you say, Oh, gee, oh, that's not what I didn't file that. Well, you don't have time later to correct it. If you don't correct it as soon as you kind of get it. Um, and that's a problem. People don't realize that. And then three years later, like, well, we should fix this. I'm like, you have no hope in hell. Like, because the one thing you got to remember is unlike Court of Queen's Bench in provincial court, Court of King's Bench, my apologies, in provincial court, um, is those are courts generally of equity. Those are courts of equity. Whereas tax court itself is a court of statute. What falls in the law? It's the black and white. And so there is not a lot of soft and feely at the tax court. Now we can plead different circumstances that will get us um, a little bit better satisfaction for our clients, but you know, it is, it is a bit, um, it is a bit different, especially with deadlines. You, you can't miss these deadlines. At, you will die on the vine. And that's the sad part. The other, the other, um, yeah, the other, the other thing people do that really astounds me is um, if they don't keep good records. And so, you know, while you may be the guy who takes in a, a banker's box full of stuff to your, you know, just a, like of loose receipts to your accountant, first of all, that makes your job, accountant's job harder. You know, if you want to make it easier for yourself, this is what you do. You create folders and you can at least throw the receipt for the month into the month, you know, or if you know that's a vehicle expense and it's tied to the gas on the truck that the company owns and throw that in there. Um, I mean, nowadays owning vehicles through the company are, isn't necessarily worth it yeah, because I've heard that lots of times. Cause there's a standby and operating charge. And in fact, that's been around forever, but you know, it's a lot, it's a lot more arduous to keep those records. Like you have to have a logbook and this and that. And while they're, they become negotiating chips and bargaining chips later with Department of Justice or the CRA themselves. Um, you know, it's it's just to get rid of that payment. 
I mean, you probably do enough mileage for business purposes that you can own it personally, get the money out of the company tax-free to pay for the car and be done and have a free car at the end. Mm. So, you know, just something to chew on as a as the average taxpayer, depending on how much you drive. Uh, the other thing is, is, is the way court works. And that's something that, that kind of people don't get. Um, so the way tax court works. So if, let's say you get reassessed. Okay, you get your accountant or yourself to file an objection. Now, CRA, I also, as I mentioned earlier, I worked in appeals. And so CRA um, has a division called the Appeals Division. Now, while it's supposed to be separate, uh, it's not necessarily separate in my opinion. I mean, we're on, we were back when I was there, I was on seventh floor and the audit floor was on fourth floor. And I was, I still worked for my audit team, but I was in appeals and it was a very interesting scenario. But um, people would go back then, and I don't know if it's changed now, hopefully it has, but people would go and talk to the auditor, what happened on this file, which is patently inappropriate. Um, and I'm hoping it doesn't happen anymore, and I couldn't say if it does, but, but um, you know, it's like, how does that give independence? Now, one thing that really matters here is CRA works on assumptions, okay? When you go to appeals, the, the CRA appeals division, so you file a notice of objection, then that becomes, uh, and they make a decision whether they, if they vacate, that means that uh, they've, they've agreed with your position, they got rid of the bill. If they vary, they say agreed with some of your things and you still have a bill, um, and they confirm, which means they agreed completely with the auditor. Now, if you get a vary or a confirm, that changes how the tax court treats this file. The reason why is because now an independent review because remember, the appeals division should be independent, has determined that these things, these assumptions are true. With a second set of eyes, those assumptions are no longer assumptions. They are now facts. And when I go to court, if I have to go to court, I'm fighting facts. And facts are a lot harder to blow away than assumptions. So sometimes it's better to put it into objection, put file the objection, they accept the objection, they they're going to reassign it uh, to a to an appeals officer within. I think their timeline is between eight and eighteen months right now. Like okay. it's, vague, it's vague and it varies. Eight to eighteen months. Yeah, okay. I've had them reassigned very quickly when they see a lawyer's on the file. But um, you know, we're taking a new strategy to deal with that. Sometimes it's better to to file and then ninety one days later kick it up to tax court because you get a lot more reasonable action from a lawyer than you do, unfortunately, from some of the staff at CRA because they had had spent many years on the audit floor and they have that same bias we talked about earlier. Yeah, I see that. And so, and so, you know, I, I work with many great people at the CRA. I think that's the thing I miss the most is the people because generally the people are good people. Um, you know, I've never, there's been a few that I've been like, uh, what's wrong with that guy? But, <laughs> but, the majority is, you know, like they don't care, but there's some people who do care. Like if you offer someone a cash deal that you shouldn't maybe offer and they work at CRA and they don't tell you they work at CRA, I'm betting that there's a, you know, a three out of 10 chance that they're going to put in a lead to get you audited. So, yeah. you know, and that's, and that's how it's supposed to work. So whatever. Right. But <laughs> it is, uh, it is something to be alive to, but I do want people to be alive to that. The other thing that people don't do and that they should should do is get someone between themselves and the CRA. So why? 
Because if you answer something to the CRA, it goes into the notes and they write literally what a form on a form called a T2020, which is memo to file. And it, and it, it deals with the actual specifics of what you've talked about, when you talked about it, and that becomes a permanent record in the file. Now, if your representative says something and they say it incorrectly because they don't have all the information, well, we can always say, hey, wait a minute, this guy was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's but you. If, <laughs> if it's you, it's you, buddy. And you might not even remember it properly. So maybe, shh, and let's let someone talk for you because that might be better. And a lot of people lose sight of that. They go, oh, no, I didn't do nothing wrong. Well, maybe your accountant did. Maybe your non-accountant accountant did. Sometimes maybe your real accountant accountant did. <laughs> but let's give ourselves a, the greatest opportunity to work our way through it. Is yeah, what I'm absolutely. You yeah, Back to the don't don't save $10 now to spend $10,000 later. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And it's that's the, I think that's the biggest thing I see is, is people trying to save money today and don't realize that, like, ugh, what a mess. People... I have people coming in and I'm like, you have no hope here. This is what you did. The accountant did it wrong. There's not much we can argue here because you ought to have known. There's a certain element of willful blindness that goes in that. But let's be clear. The majority of my clients aren't willfully blind. I get files where man, they really messed. I have one file right now. And it's a great company. The, the people are just salt to the earth. It's the greatest people you'd ever meet. And, um, and the CRAs, reassess them and saying, oh, well, we can reassess after we're legally allowed to reassess because you knew you were lying. But that's not at all the case. It was a clerical error on the part of the bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. So now how do we prove it? Well, we got to go to court. Thanks a lot. Well, we got to waste all those resources to go to court for what? Because of a clerical error, these guys have been compliant forever and you're just trying to reach into the grave because you, because wait a minute, you spent way too much, you know? Yeah, back you to your, back to your original point. What's, what's, what's that timeline? Uh, generally four years, but it depends on a bunch of things. It's it's from the date of filing and blah, blah, blah. So if you're one of those people who don't file and you file 10 years all at once, all 10 years are up for yeah, yeah, four yeah, years right. later, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it depends on a few factors. I always said, wasn't, isn't, what's the, what's the seven, is there a seven year? Yeah, that's something else that people screw up on. Um, if you're a self-employed individual or actually anyone, you keep your records for seven years. Yep. If you're a corporate entity, you keep your uh, records for seven years um, from the date of filing, but you have to keep everything else, like the financial statements, like you might not have to keep the support for those those transactions, but you should keep it on capital assets and things that are durable. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that That's a longer period. That's that's You should keep for seven years after the corporation dies. Like you put the corporation out of its misery. Yeah, yeah. So for some people, they have a company for a hundred years. Well, now you got a hundred, you know, you're keeping that record for 107 years. 107 years. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, those, those, and those are such, there's so, there's a lot of urban myths and legends and misinformation. I think it float around, around anything tax related. And mm -hmm. oftentimes we get it from a buddy or a friend or someone who's been in business a little bit longer than us. And it's maybe not always coming from the best source. <laughs> yeah. Those backyard accountants and lawyers, they're the best ones. <laughs> you mean the non-accountant accountants? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> The the uh, the the backyard barbecue accounts. No, this yeah. is what I did. This is how I saved all my. And tax. I got away with it, so it's okay. You can do it too. That's the best. Well, I disagree. Uh, my friend's been doing this for years. Well, uh, it's not in accordance with the law, so go ahead. But if you get screwed, user, you get screwed. user beware. And I think that yeah. I've had a good friend, and he made some bad choices. But it's yep. because of his group of friends being like, "Oh, dude, don't be such an idiot. You, what are you doing? Why are you paying taxes? Just do this strategy and buy these losses and do this thing." And oh. He got screwed, and it yeah. was 
Like he saved Painful. twenty grand to cost him eighty grand five years later. So it was a crazy like the the, the differential was 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 nice. Yeah, if it's too good to be true, then it generally is, and that's the same thing, <laughs> especially in the world of tax. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? There are legitimate tax mechanisms that you can employ, but if you don't... plan ahead too, though, I heard yeah, you loud and clear. You got to plan yeah. ahead. Yeah, that's right. It's last minute retroactive tax planning is not a thing. You know, not um, because it's it. generally oh my god, how do I? No, it's really too late. These things are set in stone. The contract is set in stone. Like you can't go and change. Well, when you sold the company, you shouldn't have sold those assets for this amount. You should have sold the goodwill for this and the assets for that. And you would have paid less tax. Right. Too late. But had I known in advance. So anyway, so all yeah. those things they tell you when you get married, AI, you start a business, you know, never go to bed mad, have a good lawyer, have a good tax account. It's all true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's all a hundred percent true. Well, your best friend's going to be your, your accountant and your lawyer generally in a business. And then whoever's doing your marketing, if you don't do it yourself. Right. Well said. Thank you. Nicely, yeah. nicely, nicely floated in there. <laughs> no, well, it's true. Like, <laughs> you know, they come to me like, I, I don't know. So I should give you a little background about myself. You know that I worked at CRA, you know, I'm a CPA. Um, I'm, I actually have a, um, a degree in entrepreneurship. My undergrad's in entrepreneurship. I started a few companies along my path and, and, um, you know, I've done okay. And, and it's, so I love the entrepreneur coming in because I coach them in a way to get them so that they don't have problems. Make sure you have robust contracts. Cause you know, one of the things that kills businesses is that they have a huge accounts receivable because they're, their guy didn't pay them because they didn't do it on a contract. They were doing it on request, uh, on, uh, on what do they call like um, slips, like change slips or this or that or whatever. There's not an official contract in place that binds them. There's no personal guarantees. There's no this, there's no that. Um, and it just, it makes you sad because these people are working in earnest and someone sees them and and not unlike all the things we've heard, um, you know, about the former president, they just don't pay. And so, so it is what it is, right? Um, yeah, it, and that's that's one thing that kills businesses. Like, like it's just sad. And then you end up with a, a bill from the CRA because if you're if you're doing uh, through it, working through a corporation, you have to work on an accrual based accounting system. So when you give that invoice out, that's revenue, whether or not you receive that revenue. Yes, you and know, can really screw you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people don't get that right. And so you know, and then you have to have means of collection. If no one they haven't paid then you should really try to sue at least you have you've attempted to to try mm -hmm. to collect the to CRA may not allow you to have that loss if you haven't tried to collect it you know the recoverability and, and in a demonstrable way. yeah that's yeah, right yeah. and so suing is aggressive but you could hire a collection agency you could write letters you can do this you can do that there's all mm -hmm. sorts of mechanisms but there has to be something it can't just be phone calls that are undocumented well i called them 20 times to pay the bill uh, well, that's not going to work for your loss. So yeah, yeah, right. that's something else. A lot of other things people do is they barter. I'll do you this and you do me that. Those are both taxable transactions. So now you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you start off, especially in the early days of business, when you're saying yes to everything and you're running as fast as you can, mm. that's often where a lot of these things get. Yep ignorance and happenstance and sometimes and like like what you said best intentions yeah very seldom yeah. did anybody go into that with bad intentions of like i'm going to do this poorly so i can lose money later like very <laughs> seldom is that the conversation i hear but yeah and i i get it i remember the early days of business and some of the well, we just don't have any choice i'm like we're just burying landmines for later and you know you learn yeah. and sometimes you do and you step on them <laughs> yeah and, and, and you lose your and you lose your leg <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the truth, though. You're absolutely right. That's it's, uh, that's the thing that happens to a lot of people. I'm just trying to think of any salient points that I can I can share with you, other than what I've given you in terms of. Uh, Fazil, it was a great conversation. You definitely some do, some don'ts. A lot of stuff that maybe sounds obvious when it's said out loud, and that's not to demean it or to minimize it in any way. Mm-hmm. But I think so often in business, and I've been on this journey of it's the it's the backyard barbecue buddy who tells you about the magic tax strategy that makes you feel like you're missing out on something. Yeah. But when you stick with it for the long term and you quote unquote do it right and keep your nose clean. It's actually works about for just fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you are thinking about selling your business, please talk to someone well two years in advance. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. two years in advance. Don't leave that because you'll be sad. Um, and generally, you will <laughs> fail the tests required to get you a tax-free status. Yeah, the 24 months plus the time it took to plan it to get it, yeah. to get it crystallized is critical. I've recently yeah. been having those. I've been in an executive leadership group for years and watching other people transact their businesses and learning from some of those. That's another thing. Expose yourself to environments where people are going through these challenges and mm-hmm. try to learn on someone else's experience it can be very beneficial. And it's out there. And there's... And but still go and get advice, but observe and learn, and you know surround yourself with people that are that are on the road or have been on the road longer than you that are doing yeah. it right. Mm. So that's something else. Like if you're doing an exit, um, talk to your lawyer, uh, especially if they're a tax lawyer. Your regular lawyer is great. No offense to the average lawyer. Not that you know I'm anything special. Just that knowledge of tax is relatively unique in the it legal is. field, um, especially knowledge within the CRA. So that's something. To, to highlight to people. Um, but there are great exit planning groups. Like I, I went to a, a one speech given by one recently called Mexit, M-E-X-I-T. Okay. They, they were really, they were really, they kind of knew what they were doing and, and uh, they help people create value in their businesses that you learn like, you know, in your undergrad. And if you don't have an undergrad and, and, or you're many years out from your undergrad, it's yeah, a yeah. great thing to go and, and go yeah. connect with these people, how to get the value out of your business. Because there are a lot of people who are maybe, you know, if they're getting long in the tooth and they don't want to yeah, be yeah. in this business anymore. And if you want to sell, then you want to structure it, right? Uh, such that you get the best result for yourself and your family and your legacy is what, what you want it to be, right? Because usually if you've worked your life in a business, you know, sometimes you want it to continue after you're gone, mm-hmm. right? So, I, and I know a lot of groups right now that are doing exactly that, looking for those kind of sub $2 million EBITDA businesses that have been run for maybe 20, 30, 40 years. And somebody's looking to exit because they've come into the time and it's no one in the family wants to take it. There's a lot of that seems to be going on. And I think COVID gave that a little kick as well. Of yeah, people going, whoa, I'm exhausted. I don't want to take another run of that. <laughs> I survived. I want to, I want to get out now. So yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities and tr- potential transactions out there for people on both sides of that equation, the buyer absolutely. and the seller. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a, it's a very neat time, especially with the transfer of wealth that we're in the middle of, like yes, where that's the baby boomers transferring wealth. And now, you know, maybe you've been an employee your whole life, but you just got a $2 million inheritance or a half a million dollar inheritance. Yeah. And maybe you're sick of your job and maybe you want to change and why not? Like, you know, mom mm-hmm. and dad's legacy can help you do that. And that's okay. Right. Best to plan it though. I do love how entrepreneurship has become cool. When I was in school, <laughs> Saying you want to be an entrepreneur usually got you sent to some type of remedial program. But <laughs> if I'm gonna, if I said I was gonna be a tax lawyer or a tax accountant, I would get that. That's a respectful decision to go out when you're 17 or 18 when you're making major life decisions. <laughs> you know what though, entrepreneurs like I, I. That's why my undergrads in entrepreneurship. It's the the coolest thing I ever I ever experienced was running my own shop. Right, that's really and awesome. I, and it is it is uh, like, and it doesn't. You don't have to be. You don't have to have a degree in entrepreneurship. You just have to have a good idea, some value proposition that means something 
that can generate you some revenue and the rest is you're off to the races, right? But get those advisors to surround make sure yourself you with a good advisor. Yeah, a good, that's right. More. Um, um, the major takeaway out of this, um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Like, obviously well, I've got people that I'm sure sitting here listening, going, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll post my, uh, post my, um, uh, email address and they can email me. I, um, I don't know if that's appropriate or not for the spam filters, but my IT guy can yell at me later. Yeah, completely. Uh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. We can put whatever, uh, but obviously what you got a website. What's, what's the best way um, to find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. I found you on there after we met. Sure. Yeah. No, um, the best, well, our website's getting rebuilt right now. So it's actually down. Oh, okay. Uh, but that's okay. squarelawgroup.ca. And so okay. it'll be back up again in probably in about two months. Cause we're, we're all, there's a lot of little arguments over what this should look like. And that oh, should look my like. goodness. You know how that goes. I do. I do. There's nothing more complicated than rebuilding a website because every question has to be answered. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other ways you can reach me by phone, my, my office line is 403-476-5716. And my email address, um, I'll provide it to you phonetically just because my name is a little interesting. It's Foxtrot Alpha India Sierra Echo Lima at squarelawgroup.ca. All spelled normally. You know what? You just got bonus points for using the phonetic code at the end. Uh, I'll give you extra. You like that? You, you know, I did. I did. I did. Back my my first career. My first career was a pilot, so I oh, remember. Really? I remember the phonetic code like practicing on license plate while I was driving. So yes, nice. I love that you busted that out, man. We we just became extra good friends right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, I worked at an airport for my first. Way way back, so now you know, and that's why I know all the. And for anyone phonetic. who's stuck with us for the fit for the hour and two minutes that we're chatting, they're getting the real juicy details right at the end. <laughs> Basil, Perfect. thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. I love your candor, and I really appreciate your approach. Thank you for not taking a lot, Tyler. Thanks at all so much. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>